The reading is 1 Corinthians 15, and it's 12 to 34. That's 1 Corinthians 15. The resurrection of the dead. But if it is preached that Christ has been risen from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are not found to be false witnesses about God. We are, then, found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead, But he did not raise him if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been risen either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sin. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all lie dead, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own turn, Christ the firstfruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come when the hands over the kingdom of when he hands over the kingdom of God the Father, and he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death, for he has put everything under his feet. Now when it says everything has put been put under him, it is clear that this does not include God himself who put everything under Christ. When he has done this, then the Son himself will be made subject to him who put everything under him, so that God may be all in all. Now if there is no resurrection, what will those do who are baptised for the dead? If the dead are not raised in all, why are people baptised for them? And as for us, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? I die every day. I mean that, brothers, just as surely as I glory over you in Christ Jesus our Lord. If I fought wild beasts in Ephesus for merely human reasons, what have I gained? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Come back to your senses as you ought, and stop sinning. For there are some who, ignore, who are ignorant of God. I say this to your shame. Brief survey to begin with, if I may. How many of you have not eaten an Easter egg and have no intention of doing so? That's interesting, okay. According to YouGov, 46% of people said they had no plans to eat an egg for Easter. That's about right. How many have eaten one large egg so far? 
Okay, that, that's below the national average. It should be 48%, but maybe you've got to spread yours over a while. And uh, how many of you have two or three or more eggs stacked up that you will consume in their entirety in the coming weeks? That's about, about 16% plan to eat at least two or three eggs. The same survey asked uh, Christians what the most important thing about Easter was. 49% said that for them, spending time with family and friends would be the most important thing. I guess it's a fairly loose definition of Christians they're working with, but nevertheless, nearly half said spending time with family and friends would be the most important thing. Only 30% said that the religious significance of Easter was the most important thing. And even more depressingly, only 24% said, I will go to church because it's Easter. It's an indication of the level of Christianity within the country. But looking around church this morning, I could see that there were a number of people who are not regular churchgoers who are here because it was Easter Sunday. And equally, there have been a few familiar faces that have been missing today because, I guess, they're spending time with family and friends. Easter does kind of throw everything out a bit. Some people make a special effort to come. Other people, family and friends, just kind of, you know, notch up that little bit extra degree of importance because it's an Easter weekend when you can get together. Paul says that in Corinth, there were some who were saying there was no resurrection. And I made me wonder, you know, how do they, how do they commemorate the, the Easter Sunday? Obviously, you know, no eggs or bunny rabbits in those days. They would have eaten unleavened bread probably because it was the, in the festival of unleavened bread because Jesus died in Passover. But how do you celebrate Easter? How do you celebrate the anniversary of something you don't really believe in, which is the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, which is crucial, central to our faith, really? I do know Christians who have a very this-worldly-based faith, who sit lightly to the promises of resurrection to a life beyond this one, preferring to think in terms of resurrection being the power of Christ transforming our present existence rather than the power of Christ raising dead bodies to life after the grave. But it has to be both and has to be both and. We, we celebrate the power of Christ lifting us up in this life here and now. Amen. But equally beyond that, we look forward to the power of Christ giving us a life beyond the one we know now. And for those who would say, oh, well, you know, we don't, we don't really know about what happens after we die and, and it doesn't really matter and we don't really care, Paul would shake his head over that in, in, in disbelief and maybe dismay. If we have put our hope in Christ for this life and this life alone, he says, we are of all people most to be pitied. What's the point, he asks, of all the suffering in danger I have endured if there's no resurrection? If there's nothing beyond this life to hope for? Nothing to offset all the trials and tribulations I have endured? Elsewhere, he could speak of the sufferings of this life paling into insignificance compared to the surpassing glory that he knew awaited him beyond this life in the presence of Christ. I think it would probably be true 
to say that he suffered more for his faith and paid a higher price for his faith than many of us here have done. He talks about being in danger every hour, of wrestling wild beasts at Ephesus, of living at death's door every day. This is someone whose faith had cost him dear. And you can see him thinking, it had better be worth it. Eternal life had better be good. And he affirms, yes, it will be. It will be worth it. All the suffering, all the sacrifice, all the pain, all the danger, it will be worth it. Because all that he had been through would be as nothing compared with what he knew awaited him. And maybe that's why in 21st century Britain it's easy for some people to shake their heads about life after death and say, well, I I, I don't know, I'm not really sure about what will happen when we die. It's not just a, a sign of weak faith, it's a sign perhaps of the fact that we are too comfortable. Because if resurrection is the moment when God turns the values of this world upside down and on their heads, some people might be worried they have more to lose than to gain. Paul puts his point of view across quite starkly. If this life is all there is, then the Christian faith is a waste of time. We might want to protest a bit at that. We might want to say, well, in all sorts of ways, being a Christian is worthwhile because we seek to love our neighbour as ourselves. We look to forgive other people. We, we, We find God's power enabling us to live better and fuller lives. And I don't dispute any of that, but I think Paul would want us to pause and consider that if we're going to be serious about putting our faith in Christ and living for him and paying the price for that, then the hope of resurrection is an integral part of the Christian package. It's not an optional extra that doesn't really matter. It is a fundamental part of our belief. And we're talking about resurrection here. Not some nebulous, ill-defined idea of our soul surviving in some way, shape or form beyond death or going up to meet the spirit in the sky or being absorbed into the eternal consciousness of God or, or coming back as something else. No, resurrection is an embodied physical existence in heaven or a transformed universe, the stuff of these flesh and blood bodies being changed so that they are no longer subject to disease, sin, decay or death. But they are the means by which our identity is renewed and perpetuated for eternity in the presence of God. It is an embodied existence, in some ways similar to what we know now, in some ways vastly different, because the bodies we will have then will be as superior to these bodies as a plant is superior to the seed from which it comes. And for some people that's a big thing to take on board. In those days as much as now. There were those who thought that the very idea of life after death was something for the gullible masses who needed to be given a religious reason to behave or to see some point in their existence. There were others who found the idea of resurrection of these bodies quite repugnant because they couldn't conceive of God a holy spiritual being wanting to have anything to do with with physical matter, the stuff of which we're made. But had he had a hand in the composition of the text which we now know as the Apostles' Creed, Paul would have insisted on including that phrase, I believe in the resurrection of the body. No question, fundamental to him. 
And in defending the importance of this part of the Christian faith, he argues in the opposite way to what you might expect. He was faced with those who were saying, well, I'm not sure you can believe all that stuff about the future resurrection of our bodies because, you know, we can't be sure till we get there and, uh, you know, we haven't been there yet and after all, you know, no one's come back to show us what it's really going to be like. And faced with that kind of argument, I'd be tempted to respond along the lines of saying, well, we can be confident of the resurrection of our bodies because Jesus himself was raised from the dead. And he did come and talk to people and show people. And what happened to him is the blueprint of what will happen to us. We can be sure that we will be raised because Christ was raised. I've preached sermons along those lines. I think Paul would agree with me. He says that Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. In other words, the resurrection of Christ cannot be an isolated event. He has been raised as the first of many. Because he lives, we will live. His resurrection guarantees our resurrection once death, the final enemy, has been destroyed. But Paul does it backwards. How can you say there's no resurrection of the dead, he says? The problem is, if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised. He doesn't make Christ's resurrection the basis for our resurrection, though it is. He says, well, if if there is no resurrection then Christ can't have been raised either. There needs to be a resurrection of the dead for actually Christ to have been raised. And so you can't have the resurrection of Christ without the resurrection of the dead. You can't separate it off and and say you can have one without the other. It's not possible. If there's no resurrection, Christ has not been raised. He spells out the implications of that. If Christ has not been raised, then this sermon, your faith, being in church here tonight... They're all a waste of time. You should have stayed at home and eaten your Easter egg. Though you wouldn't have an Easter egg if Christ hadn't been raised, but it's another matter. If Christ has not been raised, then Paul himself, who claimed that he'd met the risen Christ, is exposed as a liar and a charlatan. The whole of the New Testament is downgraded to a pack of lies. I suspect that Paul had particularly strong views on this because it was only an encounter with the risen Lord that turned his life around 180 degrees from being a persecutor of the church to being its most devoted apostle. But he carries on. If the dead are not raised and Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. There is nothing to celebrate if the dead are not raised. But the good news is that Christ not only died for our sins, but he rose again. And Paul saw clearly enough that without the resurrection, his death didn't achieve anything. If Christ's body was left to rot on the cross, or thrown in a lime pit, or buried and forgotten in a tomb that nobody remembered, then our sins are not forgiven. Without the resurrection of Christ on Easter Sunday, there could never be anything as Good Friday. Because the resurrection of Jesus is a sign that God has vindicated him, that his death was not some ghastly mistake or a miscarriage of justice or just one of those countless, pointless executions that reinforce how cheap human life can be. It is the resurrection of Jesus that says that Jesus dying on the cross was all part of God's master plan. It's the resurrection of Jesus that says through the death of Christ our sins have been dealt with once and for all. He was put to death for our sins and raised for our justification. His death and resurrection are two sides of the same coin that pay for our sin. 
If he didn't really die, we're not saved. If he wasn't really raised, we're not saved either. There is no good news. We're still lost in our sins. We might as well eat and drink ourselves into insensibility because all we have to look forward to is the grave. And Paul says if Christ has not been raised, then those who've fallen asleep in Christ have been lost. Any hope we have of seeing our loved ones again, of being reunited with them, which may have been the reason why some people in Corinth have become Christians, if Christ has not been raised, then none of that is for real. If there is no resurrection, if Christ has not been raised, then all I can do at a funeral is mouth meaningless platitudes in the hope I might be able to instill in some people some sense of false comfort to get them through the initial stages of their grief. I have nothing to say. Paul is right. If there is no resurrection, if Christ has not been raised, we are indeed of all people most to be pitied. But happily for us, this is nothing more than a hypothetical possibility. Because the truth is that Christ has been raised from the dead. That is what happened. What does that mean? That means that your faith, if you are a Christian, is valid. Paul's testimony and that of the New Testament is true. Your sins are forgiven once and for all. You will be reunited with those who've died in Christ in resurrection, in resurrection bodies beyond the grave. Because being a Christian is not about how you celebrate Easter, what you do this particular day. It is believing Jesus died for you to sort out your sin and put you right with God. It is believing that he rose again from the dead to be Lord of your life here and now. And the guarantee that his resurrection secures you eternal life in the future. It is the personal faith that Jesus died and rose again and that impacts my life here and now and it will do so for eternity. Even as Christians, there will be times when we we find it hard to get our heads round this. Because let's face it, this life seems so real. The prospect of death can seem so final. The hope of resurrection is such a big thing to believe and so hard to understand and pin down. But Paul will not water down the gospel to make it more palatable to sceptics in Corinth. He is a robust believer in resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus and the resurrection of those who believe in him. After all, he'd met the risen Lord. So he had every reason to know what he was talking about. Christ has been raised from the dead. Because he lives, you will live also, as you trust in him and acknowledge him as your Lord. Resurrection is for real. (coughs) With or without a chocolate egg, you really do have something to celebrate today. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the miracle of the resurrection of your son. An event that that can't be repeated because it was a one-off event. You you raised him from the dead after he'd been crucified and executed and, and dead and buried. And thank you that you did that for us. Thank you that because he died, our sins are forgiven. Because he lives, we are no longer subject to death. Thank you that through him we belong to you today and for eternity. 
as we put our faith and trust in him. And Lord, when when doubts and questions come and we're struggling, would you hold on to us? Keep us in your grace and faith through life, through its difficulties, through our troubles and our questions and our problems, through death itself, and bring us into your glory, the reason you created us in the first place, the reason you gave your son for us, the hope and the fulfilment of our lives. Lord, we want to look forward to that day when we will see Christ face to face. And thank you that that is something that you have made possible for us through him. So help us, as we thought earlier, to run the race before us and fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. For in his name we ask it. Amen.